Today's word comes from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. And it says, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that at the same times, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. This is the word of the Lord. I want you to know what a deep honor and a delight it is for me to preach today for the installation, particularization service of Revive Presbyterian Church. And uh, I think it's really fitting and appropriate on this day when solemn vows will be made and commitments will be exchanged that I instruct you from the Word of God on this special relationship between the congregation and her leaders. And I want to show you that this relationship is most vital for your Christian life. And it is for your spiritual flourishing. And it is in accord with God's um, ordering for the church. And there are many passages that talk about this relationship. But uh, I want to draw your attention to the, the classic one in 1 Peter chapter 5. And so we've read the passage. I have three points. Here's my outline. Number one, uh, I want to show you that we need shepherds. Number two, we're afraid of shepherds. And then finally, the chief shepherd. So we need shepherds, we're afraid of shepherds, and then the chief shepherd. So in verse 2, Peter says to the elders, shepherd the flock of God. The, uh, the Latin word for shepherd actually is uh, pastor. So that uh, elders and pastors are shepherds. And actually, um, shepherding is one of the master metaphors in the Bible. You see it all over the place. So that the people of God are called sheep and her leaders are called shepherds. Now, um, when we modern people think about that, we get all warm and fuzzy. We think about um, cuddly little sheep. But I want you to know that in the ancient world, where they actually dealt with sheep, where they actually understood sheep, it was a very provocative and punchy metaphor. You need to understand that sheep are the most stupid and helpless of all creatures. You will never see sheep living out in the wild because they have no survival skills and they would die. 
There's a very um, helpful book written by uh, Philip Keller. Philip Keller uh, grew up um, on a sheep ranch. Um, he worked as a shepherd as an adult, and then later on in life, he became a pastor, and he wrote a book called A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23. And this is what he says in the book. He says, Sheep are the most stubborn and foolish of all animals. They require constant care. You have to keep vigilant watch over them. They get into trouble all the time. They will fall into a pit or into a ravine. They will um, just cross over and fall over a cliff and die. They will just blindly follow one another and lead each other into disaster. He says they will become stuck in a thorny bush. Their wool badly mangled, and then they will just bleed there helplessly, unable to get out. He says that they are prone to eat poisonous weeds, and then they will get sick and die because they don't know how to distinguish good food from bad. And so you have to guide them to green pastures. Are you starting to get the picture? Sheep is not a flattering image, and it wasn't meant to be. The Bible is telling us very forcefully about our helpless condition, that on our own, we will perish, and that we need shepherds to care for us, to feed us, and most vitally, to protect us. Because the greatest danger to sheep are predators, especially in the ancient world when the countryside was much more wild and untamed, there were all kinds of predators like wolves. And the most ferocious, the most cunning of all predators in the ancient Near East was the lion. Look at verse 8. Peter says, be sober-minded. He's addressing the shepherds. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. I want you to know that the language here is absolutely terrifying. The Bible says that Satan is a lion seeking to devour the followers of Christ to destroy their life and their faith. And then notice in the text that the lion prowls. The, the Greek word there is peripateo, which literally means to, um, to walk around. And it's describing the way a lion stalks its prey. Do you know how a lion hunts? My, uh, my neighbor has an orange tabby cat, and uh, she'll come into my backyard all the time. And uh, once in a while, I'll watch her hunt. It's fascinating. She's very stealthy. She crouches down low, and then she edges closer and closer until at the last moment, she pounces. The sheep never see the lion coming. We have this conceit that we will recognize when Satan is tempting us. The choice will be obvious. We will understand the decision before us. Should we sin or not sin? But we forget what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11.4. Satan disguises himself 
as an angel of light. And so listen to me. When he tempts you, it will seem to you good and wise and desirable. My uh, favorite illustration of this is uh, the Odyssey. The Odyssey is a Greek myth, and it's the story of Odysseus uh, going home after the Trojan War. And uh, on the way home, his ship has to pass the island of the Sirens. Now, the Sirens are these horrible, evil monsters that devour human flesh. The, uh, the island is strewn with uh, the bones of marooned sailors, like this ghastly thing. But the sirens have these beautiful voices that make them irresistible. And so they use, uh, they use their voices to lure men to their doom. And so to protect his men, Odysseus gives them wax to cover their ears so they can't hear anything. But he decides that for himself, he would very much like to hear the song of the sirens. And so he orders his men to tie him to the mast of the ship. And then he tells them, under no circumstances are you to set me free. And then as the ship nears the island, Odysseus hears the sirens. And then he forgets all of his convictions to return home to his family. He becomes insane with desire and he's struggling with all of his might to break free and he's screaming at his men, release me as your captain, I command you. And his men, they see him straining with all their might. And do you know what they do? They go to Odysseus and then they tighten his ropes, thereby saving his life. The point of the story is that all of us, at some point, will experience the song of the sirens. We will all face some kind of temptation that will lead to our destruction and death. And we won't be able to stop ourselves. We will go insane with desire. We will lose our mind. And the only way to survive this temptation is we need to authorize the church to tie us to the mast. So how do, how do we do this? First, we need to find pastors and elders that we trust. And then second, we need to authorize them to shepherd us. And we do this by entering into a covenant with them. It has to be an explicit agreement because otherwise, in a moment of temptation, you will say, I don't remember giving you permission to do this. So it's an explicit agreement, which is, by the way, called church membership. And then we have to submit to their authority because their role, Peter says in verse 2, is to exercise oversight. The Greek word there is um, episcopeo. It means to watch over someone. And uh, it's actually describing an intense activity of constant watchfulness and care. Philip Keller in his book says that uh, the shepherd always lives with his sheep. He never goes home. He sleeps with his sheep. 
And so he intimately knows each and every one of them. He's constantly handling the sheep, examining, examining them carefully for signs of disease or injury. And some of you are saying, that sounds awfully intrusive. I don't know if I want to be constantly handled. And that leads me to my second point. We're afraid of shepherds. So here's the paradox. We desperately need shepherding, but we are also deeply afraid of being shepherded. And I think we are afraid of two things. We are afraid of being abused by our shepherds, and we're afraid of losing control if we submit to them. So what do we do with our fears? Let me address them one at a time. First, we're afraid of being abused. Maybe that's a little strong of a word, so we're afraid of being mistreated. And let me say here at the onset that that mistreatment goes both ways. In verse 5, Peter writes, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. The word, uh, the word uh, younger there uh, is not just talking about people who are younger in age, but it's a metaphor for the whole congregation. But the key word I want to draw your attention to is likewise. The Greek word there is homoois. Homoois means in the same manner, in the same way. And so what Peter is saying is that it's not just the congregation that is submitting, but it's the pastors and the elders as well. It is both the congregation and her leaders who are submitting and humbly accepting their roles. And so I would like to provide a word of instruction and guidance for the pastors and for the elders. I want you to know that the call to shepherd is a call to suffer. Because ministry is suffering. If you look at the leaders in the Bible, if you look at the life of Moses, the life of the Apostle Paul, their ministry was full of grief and heartache. And so I, would, I want you to know, I want to prepare you that in your ministry work, you will receive harsh criticism. And that criticism will be like this constant drizzling rain that falls upon you. And then sometimes it becomes a thunderstorm. You will be misunderstood. You will be slandered. People will be angry with you. You will experience personal betrayal. And it will happen so regularly. And the shrapnel of those encounters will be so traumatic that you will be tempted to withdraw, to close your heart, to erect walls of protection. But you must not do that. You cannot love people without risking your heart. There is no professional detachment. You are not just rendering religious services but you are called to love. And to love is to become vulnerable. As every parent knows, you cannot be safe when you love. And so you will be wounded. And you will 
learn to walk with a pastoral limp. But like Jacob, it will be a mark of God's presence in your life. Secondly, let me address the congregation. The Bible says that we are to submit to our shepherds. We are to be subject to their authority. And I know that these words, submit, obey, these are dirty words in our culture. And we are wary of corrupt leaders who abuse their power. Every day we see headlines of another leader's fall from grace. And this is happening in every arena of life. This is happening in the world of sports, business, entertainment, but particularly in religion. Just this past year, we saw headlines about Ravi Zacharias, Mark Driscoll, the pastors of Hillsong. There is still ongoing the Catholic priest sex scandals. And these are not just individuals. These are whole institutions covering up. So that in our generation, there has been a precipitous decline in trust in institutions. Um, according to Gallup, in 1985, not that long ago, people expressed 65 percent of people expressed confidence in organized religion. 65 percent. That number now is 36 percent. There has been a similar drop for media, education, the medical system, so that we live in a world where we just assume everyone is lying to us. We expect betrayal and fraud. And there has settled into the national psyche this deep cynicism, loss of social trust. And the cost is a breakdown in the social fabric. And I want you to understand that this breakdown in uh, society is having a profoundly negative effect on individuals. The data is here is clear. The National Center for Health Statistics came out with uh, a series of studies done during the pandemic. It shows that one third of Americans are showing signs of clinical anxiety or depression. Or listen to this, 25% of young adults ages 18 to 24 have contemplated suicide in the last 30 days. There is an epidemic of addiction and suicide, what are called deaths of despair. Life expectancy continues to tick down every year. This is unprecedented in the history of our nation. And so when the Bible, I want you to understand, when the Bible asks you to submit to your church leaders, it is not sacrificing you as an individual for the sake of the group, but it is for your good. You cannot separate your well-being from the church. We cannot be the church. We cannot fulfill the mission of God unless we learn to trust each other. Now, does that mean we ignore the problem of abusive church leaders? Absolutely not. Every human being, every human being is capable of gross abuse of power. And so we need 
strong structures of accountability, pastors and elders need to learn to work together in harmony and mutual respect. They need to support one another. And we need to remember that pastors and elders are sheep too. They need to be shepherded. They need counsel, correction, and loving care. And so God gave us these interlocking structures of mutual accountability. The congregation is accountable to her leaders. The leaders are accountable to the congregation. It's mutual submission, mutual support, mutual love. This is how God designed the church. And so I want to appeal to the congregation of Revive Revive Presbyterian Church. Let your leader's ministry be a joy. Do not give them occasion for groaning. Support them. Love them. Encourage them. And forgive them for their shortcomings. And if you don't know what they are, in the course of time, you will. (laughs) Secondly, we are afraid of losing control. We're afraid that if we submit We're afraid that if we surrender our autonomy, then we will lose our freedom. And that feels like death. And so we keep trying to keep our options open. We we try to stay a free agent so that we could just leave at any time. But I want you to know that unless you are rooted in a place you will always just be tumbleweed passing by and you will perish. Jesus in John 12, 24 says this, and and listen to the imagery of this. He says, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, he remains alone. But if it dies, it will bear much fruit. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying that you need to be planted in a place. You need to commit to a community, to a mission bigger than yourself. One of my uh, favorite movies is uh, Moneyball. And uh, Moneyball is the uh, true story of the uh, 2002 Oakland A's, which is this um, scrappy, um, small market baseball team with a tiny budget. And the, uh, the main character is uh, played by Brad Pitt. He's the general manager of the team. His name is Billy Bean. And uh, Billy Bean uses something called Saber Matrix, which is like a statistical way to analyze players. And using Saber Matrix, he creates, he puts together this really unorthodox team that everybody scoffs at. No one thinks it will work. But despite everyone's expectations, they go on to break records, right? They make this deep run. They go to the playoffs. But then ultimately, they don't win the World Series. And at the end of the movie, right, if it's a big letdown. And you're wondering, is that, is that it, right? Is that the end of the story? And then there's a series of final scenes, Billy Bean is contacted by the Boston Red Sox. He's flown in. um, He's given a tour of Fenway Park. 
and then he's taken up to one of the luxury skyboxes, and then the owner of the Boston Red Sox hands him a slip of paper, and on the paper is written $12.5 million, which is his offer, which would make Billy Bean the highest paid general manager in all of sports. It's an incredible offer. But it would mean leaving the team he has invested in for decades, and it would mean leaving his daughter who lives in the Bay Area. And so he's weighing this decision. And in some ways, it's not even a contest. Take the money, his assistant says. And it's not just the money, but it's what the money says about you. Take the money. In the final scene of the movie, Billy Bean is driving across the Bay Bridge. And he puts on this uh, CD of his daughter singing a song. And in the emotional climax of the film, he decides to turn down the offer. And he decides to stay with the Oakland A's. And as I was watching the movie, that scene, I started to weep because it's so beautiful. Because you don't see that in our culture anymore. And so I, I, I say this to my congregation all the time, and so let me say it to you. Commit. Commit to a people and a place. Find a place that you can call home a place where you belong. Don't just be a free agent. Stop shopping around for the next best deal. The, you know, what is the best church? Who has the best music? Who has the best preaching? Like, aren't you tired of constantly moving from place to place? Commit. Sink down roots. And commit to a people and to a place. And then you will experience life that is truly life. Jesus says, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, if it becomes planted, only then will it bear fruit. Finally, look to the chief shepherd. This act of mutual submission doesn't come naturally. <laughs> Our instincts tell us to cut ties and run. Don't let anyone hurt you. So how do we do this thing called church? It seems impossibly hard. In verse 4, Peter writes, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. I want to close with two words, a word to the congregation and then a word to the pastors and the elders. First, a word to the congregation. I want you to know there is a pastor behind your human pastor. I want you to know that Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd and you can trust him because he laid down his life for the sheep. I want you to know that human shepherds will fail you. Pastors and elders have their own sin issues, idolatries and weaknesses, and maybe you haven't experienced them yet. Maybe you're still in the honeymoon phase. 
But when you do, it will be painful to bear. But the chief shepherd will never fail you. Behind your pastors and elders, I want you to know, is the wise and loving care of Jesus. Trust him. Submit to him through his under-shepherds. Finally, I want to say a special word to Susang. Susang, you and I have had many conversations about this. Pastoring is a call to suffering. And the grief of it will pierce your heart. Your job is to shepherd the flock of God. And as a shepherd, you cannot be happy unless your sheep are safe. Your heart will be tied to the church. And here you will experience the deepest joys, but the most painful agony. And grace, you will suffer too. You will bear all of Susang's wounds, all the slings and arrows that come his way will enter into your heart. I'm not making this job sound very attractive. So why should anyone do it? Why should you subject yourself? Verse 4, Jesus says, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And I say this to all the pastors and all the elders. All human endeavors, every worldly achievement and accolade will fade it will pass away and crumble because this world is passing away. But everything you do, and I say this to the entire congregation, everything you do unto the Lord will last forever and ever. One day, you will stand before the chief shepherd and he will say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter now into the joy of your master. And I, I want you to know that those words will echo forever in the new creation. To the pastors and elders of Revive Presbyterian Church, I want you to know that ultimately you're not living for the praise and the approval of the church, which comes and goes. You're living for the praise and the approval of the Lord. Please join me in prayer. Almighty God, who is equal to this task? It is beyond all human strength and wisdom. But we ask as little children for the spirit to empower, to equip, to fill these men with holy love. Love for you, love for the gospel, love for your people. 
It's an amazing thing that you put your glory in jars of clay. It is so that all the glory belongs to you. May your blessing be upon this church. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.